You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. Tuesday, September the 14th. Dull, grey, wet, drizzly here in TW11 today. Appropriately enough, today's headliner is not a horse bound for the Ark, the Breeders' Cup, the Jaban Cup, or any of the other delights we've been talking about the last few days, but a jump horse, a jump horse that has retired, one of the most enduring, one of the most popular, certainly one of the most talked about, a horse who had a 19-race winning spree in the middle of a career that only saw him finish out of the frame once. He always completed, and he was the complete horse. A brilliant jumper, almost always brilliantly ridden and masterfully trained. Altior is his name, and I've been speaking to his trainer, Nicky Henderson. Henderson, who has enjoyed some wonderful days with this horse, but has experienced some frustrations over the last few years. And I began by asking him what sort of a hole in the stable Altior would leave. Well, it's, sort of, it's extraordinary when you go back to think that, you know, when he came as a young horse, Sprinter was just retiring. And, um, you know, you can't, I know London buses come along a bit like this, but you really can't believe two horses can come like that. And, you know, he's been, he's been at the center of it for, for whatever it was, five, five years, really, six years. Um, I bought him as a three-year-old and, you know, it was pretty obvious from day one that he was a bit special. Um, and. You know, they are all-consuming when you're running in those sort of races. You won 10 grade ones, five grade twos in that run of 19. So, you know, uh, 14, uh, 15 of the 19 races were at the highest level. And I think that's fairly staggering. Uh, comparisons were always made to Sprinter Sacra, but I'd rather just focus on on him really, and and what yes, his what his key attributes were uh, that that sort of set him apart. As you say, from day one, you knew he was good. How did you know he was good? Well, you, when you start to do a bit of work, the, the, the really bright lights just stand out from day one. To be honest with you, very often some of those that are at the back still become good horses. Do you know what I mean? But they learn to beat them. But if you've got so much natural talent that it it they've just find everything easy and you know nothing ever flustered him he had a wonderful temperament to go with it to be fair um and you know he just took it all in his stride and he loved his work he was just good at it um but everything was just very easy for him you had to do a fair amount of work with him to be fair um but it was just no no bother to him all just straightforward and we had those five glorious years when you know nothing went wrong I've, that's why unfortunately he was he just then the luck turned against him and that was twice that the 11th hour before Cheltenham he was he was thwarted uh, that those those last couple of years or last two or three years when his runs were were relatively limited it, it struck me there was never anything that badly wrong with him you just kept 
stumbling at the at the at the last minute. Mm. Well, as I think I said yesterday, you know, all the way along we had various decisions to make: what to do, what not to do. The first big one was whether to go chasing or stay over hurdles, because I said to Pat and Chris Bue, "Look, you can stay over hurdles and you'll win the champion hurdle." But he was he was seven rising eight then, so I said, "If you don't switch now, you never will." And we took the risk. Nobody would have won this champion hurdle standing on his head. Um, where we were lucky was we decided to go that way with him. Um, JP actually wanted to go novice chasing with Bouverdere. And he won to novice chasing with Bouverdere, but he wasn't jumping like Altior was jumping. And, you know, it was blatantly obvious he was going to be the better chaser. Um, in which case, it seemed sensible to switch Bouverdere back to hurdles. And for once, we got it right on both scores because Altior did what he needed to do was to jump a fence and Bouverdere did what he needed to do was go back to hurdles and win two champion hurdles. So that was, you know, that that was an easy decision. The, there were lots more, but the, the, the big mistake was the the dust up with Sarnem. The first time he was trying two and a half miles, heavy ground, first time out. Sarnem was a citizen flea, we weren't, and he galloped Altior into exhaustion. He was only beaten two lengths, but in that ground it absolutely bottomed him, and I still to this day will defend my decision not to run him in the Tingle Creek last year, when various members of the um, press that, that doesn't wasn't you. You're gonna no. Listen, you're gonna. I I'm gonna defend. I'm gonna defend the right of my my press colleagues to to question your decision to pull the horse out all day long because that's a that's our job. You at some at some at some point you're gonna you're just gonna have to say this horse has had a great career and I, I stand by the decisions I made. John Gosden's allowed to take out Stradivarius if the ground's too soft. Oh, we'll give him grief as well. <laughs> that's what I felt right again asking certain. Was the lady that interviewed me at Sandown? Whether why is Gosie allowed to do that if I'm not? Now listen, you know as well as I do that if if if, if Lydia had John Gosden at her at her feet with a similar situation, she would ask exactly the same questions to John Gosden as she asked to you. She is she is fearless and 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 brilliant for it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't mind that. But you just made me laugh. Um, but th- this is about Altior, and this is about a glorious career. And I know clearly there are some sort of frustrations later on, but he, he has been brilliant for you and for your whole team. How do you go about making a decision as to when you call time on on uh, on careers like this? Well, I know that Pat and Chris had made their mind up, to be honest with you, at Sandown um, in the spring. And I won't deny that through the summer... I had tried to persuade them to continue um, because the horse, he looks magnificent. He's been over, he's spent every summer that we've had with Charlie and Tracy Vigas and he looks magnificent now. And I just, you know, there was there was a lot of spark about that last run at Sandown. Um, he flew down the back straight that day. Probably might have been getting a bit too quick. Um and just got a bit tired on the in the last bit and got pop, pips. But you know, it's. Um, I think the great thing is that he does go out still in his prime and a hundred percent sound. 
100% in every way. And um, I, I respect that. Um, and I now have to hope that um, our friend Shishkin might be able to follow on, but that's another story. Has he got what Altior had? Oh, I think so far so good. He's won a Supreme and he's won an Arkel. Um, then you've got to take the next step, and it's going to be a difficult one because that's a hot division this year. So we'll have to see. Nicky Henderson there, always generous with his time. And clearly, whilst there's a sense of unfinished business, Dave Yates from the Daily Mirror, a 19-race winning streak is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey, hasn't it? Those 19 wins over obstacles uh, represent a modern-day record. The four Cheltenham Festival wins. There was a time during his career when Altior was just simply invincible, that you know his his starting prices reflect that don't they uh 10 to 1 on uh for the Clarence House chase a, a couple of years ago at Ascot admittedly a, against two rivals but yeah he's he's been a magnificent horse he's a magnificent horse to look at and to watch and it's been a great journey i think that you're right in that there's a sense of unfinished business that just picking out some of Nicky Henson's quotes there. He looks magnificent now. Uh, there was a lot of spark about that last run at Sandown. These are just shorthand notes I made during the interview. In, during the interview, uh, He goes out in his prime. He's 100% in every way. Uh, but before that, uh, Pat and Chris had made their minds up at Sandown. Um, and so I don't think that one has to read too far between or too closely between the lines uh, to infer from that interview that it, it was the owner's decision I, I think that's it's pretty standard practice the the owner the, the horse is the owner's property and so it's their decision whether he or she should race on I thought that that run at Sandown in the celebration chase last April although it was it, it resulted in in defeat behind green teen or grenatine I think that it was a it was a pretty encouraging run I don't I don't like to blame the media for anything being uh, one of their number but when top class horses dip below their brilliant best the r word comes up i think too readily these days it, it remember that we were talking about retirement for stradivarius when he was beaten last autumn and, and even after he'd won at ascot this spring people were saying oh are, are we are we sure this horse is, is still at his zenith. And so I think that's a, a disappointing thing. I'd like to see horses like Altior race on because there seemed to be plenty of, uh, plenty of enthusiasm about that run at Sandown. One of the strange things about a postscript, I suppose, about Altior's career is that he filled as many column inches when he didn't run almost as, as, as when he did. I, I just pick up on your point about retiring horse I got into a spot of bother last night when I said on on Twitter that he'd had a brilliant career he's going to have a fabulous life with Mick and Chloe Fitzgerald now there's there's no doubt about that and he'll be kept I'm sure active and busy but when Nicky described him as sound fit at the peak of his powers and he's 11 rising 12 which I don't think he's old for a horse it's old um, for a champion, though, isn't it? It, it, it's not, it is. It's old for a top-class horse. It, it's not old for a horse, but it, it or, is. Uh, it's not old for a runner, but it's old for a 
for an invincible champion. This is true. But I thought, yes, that last run at Sandown, he showed every bit of zest. And the horse is there as a racehorse first and foremost. But I got a lot of messages back saying the horse owes nobody anything. Well, there is no contract of that nature. You owe the horse the best life. The horse never owes you anything. It's a it's an odd construct that the idea that a horse owes you until a horse doesn't owe you anymore. And indeed that you should treat the best horses racing on any differently to the worst horses racing on. The idea that a horse starts off with a debt that it must pay off, and at the end of it, you say, you look at your uh, you look at your balance sheets and, and your ledger and say, yes, you now owe us nothing. Uh, you may retire. And and as you say, if horses do owe you something in the minds of these people, do they continue to race uh, even if racing is not the right thing to do? It, it's a it's a very weird one. Um, I thought you were brave. And may I say slightly foolhardy in putting that out on Twitter uh, yesterday. I think that would that was always going to be something of a of a tinder spark, but I I I suspect you probably knew that. Let's talk about the fixture list, shall we? As was suggested by Chief Executive Julia Harrington on my Sunday programme earlier this week, the number of fixtures that British racing is going to stage in 2022 will be broadly speaking, the same as 2021. There are, Dave, however, a few little bits of detail that are quite significant. Just tell us what they are. Yeah, the the, the number of fixtures uh, for 2022 will be 1,482. As things stand, that's uh, four fewer uh, than this year, but there's still room for some additions. The, 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 the racing league uh, it doesn't get a mention for for self-evident reasons, I think, uh, with regard to the publication of the fixture list. So in terms of the numbers, we're broadly the same. I, I suppose the the main difference is with regard to the weekends. It seems that I was going to say that the Saturdays were, were beefed up, but they're pretty beefy already uh, in many cases. And Sundays also get something of a boost. And and I think many of us have thought over the, the decades that Sundays have been very much the, the weak link in British racing. There's, there's one overriding issue with regard to fixtures in 2021, isn't there? And that is the small fields. I, I sort of got wind of this. It was a story that I never really got, well, never got to write, which was that the fixture list would be largely the same for 2022 as it was for 2021 and and the opening paragraph for that would have been uh, calls for a reduction in fixtures have fallen on deaf ears or or something to that effect if you believe that there's too much racing and that the number of horses currently in training cannot service the fixture list adequately then the news of yesterday isn't going to improve your mood and it's not going to change your mind if you feel that there was already something of an overkill on saturdays which i think there has been over the last decade and a bit then ditto it's going to get worse folks before it gets better um so in that in that sense i think it's it's disappointing if you look at the fields yesterday at Brighton, five eight six five six eight six. now i know brighton is a track that doesn't have massive fields but even so, not one in in double figures. Yarmouth today eight eight seven five 
698. Even Redka, which is a track that does have decent fields, uh, has eight races of which only four make double figures. So uh, it, it is going to get worse before it gets better. This we've talked a lot about uh, the paltry fields. You know, you you and I look at this. That's with an A, not an OU, by the way. And um, we've talked a lot about this. And you and I look at uh, in in our our daily work we look at these fields every day and day in day out we look at them and think my word that is a very very weak card and that's going to get worse in 2022 i think that that in looking at the fixture list that's something that ought to have been taken on board and it, it clearly hasn't been taken on board for 2022 Jane and I were pretty exhaustive in our canter through what had happened over the weekend yesterday, Dave. But were there, were there any key observations you made from what was a, a frenetic weekend's action? Well, I suppose St Mark's Basilica apart, it was a a, a weekend of horribilis for Ballydore, wasn't it? Um, chiefly the defeat of of Snowfall in the Prevair May. There was the business of Bolshoi Ballet not being able to run in the Niel because of an irregularity with the vaccination in his in his passport. Broom, of course, was beaten in the Foy or the Foie, if you prefer. So Love was beaten too, obviously uh, Point Lonsdale as well. So it was a it was a pretty leaden sky, I thought, for for Bally Doyle this weekend. It was illuminated by that gutsy and uh, really game victory of St Mark's Basilica in the Irish Champion States. Over the years, I think when I started at the Mirror, which was in 2002, the Arc Trials was a real, that card was a really big event. You know, we would see really significant changes in the market for the Arc. And that's become less significant over the years. It's almost these days become, well, secondary to what goes on at the Curra. And I think that would have been the same in 2022. I don't think that the Niel or the Foy or the Foy, if you prefer, would have thrown up obvious candidates for the arc. And we were expecting a routine victory at long odds on uh, for snowfall in the Verme. The fact that that didn't happen, of course, made it very much headline news. I, I thought she was pretty laboured. Frankie de Tory afterwards was inclined to blame the way that the race had unfolded tactically. But the bookmakers pushed snowfall out significantly and i thought they were right to do so it is tuesday and that means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at weatherby's their global stallion app and the excellent and comprehensive stallion book and it's sales time and we're heading to osaru's sales uh, today and to emmanuel vio who's their general manager and auctioneer osaru's begins an important sale today and is one of the newer sales houses created in June 2008. Emmanuel, good morning. Thanks for joining me on what's a very, very busy day for you with your two-day yearling sale. Just tell me a little bit about uh, where you are, first of all. Good morning, Nick. Yes, uh, we are not far away from Bordeaux. You know, we are 60 kilometers down, down below Bordeaux. And uh, it's it's on the Bassin L'Arcachon. And uh, it's not far away from the Dune du Pilar, the, the well-known, you know, massive uh, uh, sand uh, dune. So it's a, a really nice spot. Sounds absolutely beautiful. And if I could tear myself away from the scenery, I would be able to feast my eyes on some pretty smart horses as well. It's a it's a crowded sales season. So where was your where was your gap in the market when you began in 2008? 
we, we, uh, I will say that we start from uh, from a low, uh, from, from almost nowhere, you know, because uh, at the beginning we uh, we have uh, uh, people from mainly from the southwest. Of, uh, Readers from the southwest who ask us to, um, uh, if it were possible or not, to set up uh, um, uh, sales um, um, at, at, at uh, this location, and uh, that's what we, uh, we we did. So it's almost uh, it's 40, 14 years uh, uh, fourteen years ago uh, now. And um, yes, we, we start with, uh, I remember the first sale, 70, 70 yearlings. And uh, I remember the top price of the sale, you know, it was um, a, a filly sold for 34,000. Uh, she was bred by Alain Chopard à Radéphone. And uh, the top price, she became the, 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 the dame, the mother of uh, the good French stallion Gokken. So that was, a, that was a fantastic start for you. Um, yes. How 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 did you how did you develop the sale? How did you develop interest over time? Uh, yeah, year on year, you know, people breeders. They, 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 first, they, they, uh, we, we had um, almost only people from the southwest, and uh, and then, uh, uh, as I say, uh, the, the second year, the, the year after, people from Normandy, from the, the west region of France, start to to be interesting, uh, coming uh, uh, as well uh, as vendors, and uh, and then we start to. Add the result on the race course as well. So uh, um, the, the French trainers, they, 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 they thought that it was a good value for, for, for money uh, um, uh, buying at La Teste. Uh, and then it was a good, um, good, good two, three days to, to spend with, uh, uh, with owners as well. Uh, you know, it's not Deauville, but it's, it's like, uh, it's a, as I said before, it's a, it's a really nice spot. And uh, so uh, they enjoyed the, 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 the area. And, uh, and then we improved the, as well the, the quality of the yelling. So all, all together, um, first year we, we, we had 70 horses to, to, to sell. And then uh, five years after, we had to visit uh, with 700 yearlings. And, um, and this year, for example, I saw... Uh, by my own, on my own, sorry, uh, a bit more than 800 yearlings to, to have a catalogue um, to, to put 281 yearlings uh, this year. And you've just had a, a, a massive update because Atomic Jones, who we spoke about yesterday, one of Jer Lyons' winners over Irish Champions Weekend, has a half-brother selling in, in the sale today. Exactly. So uh, yes, it will it uh, will be uh, presented tomorrow. It's a uh, lot sixty nine. It's a nice code by Anodin. And uh, yes, um, the, the the update is fantastic, and I'm, I'm very very happy uh, for the vendor. And I'm just looking through some of the stallions that are responsible for the progeny in this sale: Lave, Memas, Kendal, Jean, Anodin, Dabasim, Lawman. Is this a is this a, a sign of the depth of, of of the French breeding industry at the moment? Yes, I think so. Uh, we, we did improve the, 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 the I think the, the stallion from the last ten years in France, and um, uh, we can also speak to uh, about uh, Almanzor, for example. We, we have three nice uh, yearling. We have two two colt and one one very nice filly by by Almanzor, who to me start doing great. Uh, he had three winners in the last. Uh, in the last five days so uh, so yes definitely i'm, I'm, I'm very happy uh, to, to 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 be able to have this kind of stallion uh, at la test and uh, in fact i have no choice it, if i want uh, the people coming to buy i have to to have a decent catalog and and it's it helped me sure uh, 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 to, 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 
to have a, a, a better, better uh, stadium in France. And I, just before you go, Emmanuel, I want to uh, touch on your successes in the in the jumping sphere as well. You you you've done pretty well there. Yes, yeah, sure. Because we we sold uh, horses like uh, for the first one, the first very good one who, who was presented at the test uh, was Gemix, with a multi, multiple group one winner uh, at Botteuil, and yeah, he's a good stallion in France. Uh, we sold. Uh, was a very good horse uh, as well, and uh, on the flat, of course, I, 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 I will be. Uh, I would. I would like to, to speak about Sons of Mali. Who was a champion, leader, won the team crack, won the group one at Ascot. Uh, it was bought by Colmarnan, Marnan, uh, bred in near Bordeaux, so uh, typical um, from the area. So it was a very good story, and uh, we, we we have sold uh, as well. Tureshan, Tureshan is uh, for me is one of the best players in Europe. Uh, uh, we, we sold a very good relief. Fatal Berry won the Demar Hawks uh, in California, Group 1. Uh, Caval Doré was a very, very good filly, trained uh, at la thèse by Christophe Ferland, and uh, she, she won the prix uh, to Calvados. And then she, 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 she's placed um, in a Group 1 in, in um, British Cup. So, so um, uh, no, I'm very happy with the results. And uh, we, we have two two listed uh, winners uh, in the last um, the, two, uh, the last two weeks. You know, Mouillage Toronado called to strength by Jean Claude Rouget, and um, good horse. Uh, no, I'm happy with the results. Thanks to Emmanuel and to Nikki Henderson earlier in the program. David Yates is still with me and has a tip for you for today. We're going with Motorious in the 7.20 at Wolverhampton. Winning handicap debut at Kempton last time, was back to do so. Did so easily. Eight pounds higher here, but there's more to come. 7.20 race at Wolverhampton tonight, and it's number two, Motorious. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. I'll be back to do it again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, September the 14th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.